So I'm not sure if I will get through this this morning because this week I received three calls from the CRA saying there's a warrant out for my arrest. <laughs> so just so you know that if someone comes in and arrests me, I mean, I know it's a fake, but it's uh, because I haven't, uh, I don't think I've done anything illegal. <laughs> but so, so anyway, so just, uh, does anyone else get those calls? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, this morning I'm going to talk on a, a subject that um, is so much more bigger than what I can even talk about. The subject is forgiveness, and I believe that every one of us has difficulty with that in our lives at some point. We may not now. But uh, I have a story to tell you about a baseball player. Now, I know that some of you are big fans of baseball. Others probably don't care at all about baseball. But uh, there was a guy by the name of Fred Snodgrass. Have you ever heard that name? Well, Fred was a professional and successful baseball player for the New York Giants in, from 1910 to 1915. That's a long time ago, I guess. Well, in 1910, he led the, most, he led the season most, most throughout the whole season uh, in the National League with a batting average that kind of trailed off towards the end, and he ended up with a 321 average. That's pretty good. He was ranked second on the team with 51 stolen bases in the 1911 season. However, He's not remembered for any of those things. What he's remembered for is the 1912 season. Even though he made a solid contribution to the three pennant winning seasons with the Giants, the center fielder is best remembered for his infamous muff in the final game of the 1912 World Series. He dropped the ball. I wasn't sure, I thought I knew what muff meant, but it means uh, in the world of sports, it means you dropped the ball. Uh, you fumbled it, you, you, it was a blooper, you, you did a boo-boo, you botched it. It was an embarrassing mistake. And you know, they interviewed him almost, thir they're, they're a semi-professional team here, I think. <laughs> almost 30 years later, in 1940, he said this in an interview, hardly a day in my life, hardly an hour goes by that in some manner Someone doesn't remind me about that, dropping that ball almost 30 years later. He said, on the street, in my store, it's all the same. They might choke up and they might not want to, they might hesitate before asking, but they always ask. And so even in his death in 1974, which was 62 years later, it did not even spare him of the drop ball. His obituary in the New York Times headline read this. Fred Snodgrass, Snodgrass, 86, dead. Ball player muffed 1912 fly. 62 years later, and he's remembered, not for the accomplishments that he did on the field, not the stolen bases, not the good average, but he was remembered for that one drop ball. What about you and me? Is there something in our life that, that we remember or we remember about someone else? Is there something in your life that you're having difficulty forgiving yourself? There's 
lots of those kinds of things that goes on in our lives. So this morning I want to talk about two different scriptures. Uh, the one is in Genesis. Uh, it's actually found, uh, I'm going to read that in a bit, but it's found in, from chapters 37 to chapter 50. And through, so I'm going to just do a quick review of, of, of this person's life. His name was Joseph. So his 10 brothers hated him. He was 17 years old and his father sent him out to see how his brothers and, and the flocks were doing. And then they plotted to kill him. And it says later on in the scripture that Joseph was distressed. He was, it was when they, that he actually pleaded for his life. So he knew they were planning on killing him. But they ended up throwing him into a, a dry cistern and uh, then took him out of there and sold him into slavery into Egypt. And there he was bought by Potiphar, the captain of the guard. The Lord was with Joseph in everything that he did. God was with him. He made, everything that he touched was successful. Joseph was falsely accused and thrown into a prison. He was in prison for at least two years, probably a bit more. And Joseph, with God's help, interpreted two dreams while he was in prison. And then two years later, Pharaoh had two dreams, and Pharaoh called the wise men of Egypt, and they couldn't figure out what in the world these dreams were about. They could not interpret the, the dreams. And Joseph happened to be remembered by one of the people that were in prison with him, and they called him, and Pharaoh called him in to interpret what the dreams meant. And he gave credit to God. He said, I can't do this, but God can. Pharaoh put him, after uh, Joseph interpreted those dreams, which was about going to be seven years of, of plenty and seven years of famine, that uh, Pharaoh said, well, we need to get somebody that's wise that can take care of this. And then he said, well, who else but the person that interpreted this dream? So Joseph was put into command. He was second in command in all of Egypt. And so they did have seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. So they stored up grain for the seven years and then the next seven years was famine and people were coming from all over uh, to buy grain in, in uh, Egypt. And so it happens to be that these 10 brothers that uh, were gonna kill, kill Joseph ended up coming down to Egypt to buy food. Well, Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He's now 30 and his brothers didn't recognize him, probably from the way he had to look as a second in command in Egypt. He probably looked like a royalty, which he would have been. And so Joseph recognized his brothers, but he didn't tell them right away. And then finally, Joseph revealed, revealed himself to his brothers and they were terrified. Well, I, I guess they had a reason to be terrified. You sold your brother, you were gonna kill him and then you sold him into slavery. But you know the great thing about it? He said, and this is the scripture, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they have committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. 
We are your slaves, they said, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now that takes some kind of a forgiveness, doesn't it? Your brothers are gonna kill you and sold you into slavery and then you spent time in prison for a crime that you didn't commit. And then, so that's on those brothers in one sense because he wouldn't have been there in Egypt if they wouldn't have sold him. And so I think this is, a, is an amazing story of forgiveness that we could learn from that I don't think there's any of us that have ever experienced quite those kind of things about someone that did something to us. So from the time that he was sold into slavery until he became second in command, it was 13 years. 13 years, and at least two of those were, were in prison. So then there's going to be the other scripture text that I'm going to read at some point, but not right immediately, is Matthew chapter 18. And it's a very well-known scripture uh, about uh, what Jesus says. For Jesus, forgiveness is of paramount importance. Absolutely paramount. It could be described as the flip side of a coin. And I brought a, a coin with me. It's a bigger than usual. But anyway, I couldn't find anything bigger. I wanted to get a bigger one, but I couldn't find one. But anyway, the flip side of this, on the one side it could be love, and on the other side it would be forgiveness. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13 that there's three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love ranks first. The top side, the head. This is the head of Eisenhower. So now you know that it's not a Canadian coin. <laughs> I didn't have a big coin, Canadian coin. Jesus wants us to love one another as he has loved us. And that's the way people will know that we are his disciples is by the love that we have for one another. And Jesus was asked this question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind. And a second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. However, we know that love is imperfect. We damage our relationship with God as well as our neighbors when we sin. We flip the coin from love over to forgiveness and it can't be both ways. If there's unforgiveness, you don't love the way God would have us to love. But we do not stay in our sin and alienation or do we offer forgiveness, which, which then we can turn the coin back over to, to love. You know, Jesus often talked about forgiveness. He forgave those who sinned against others, forgives those who sin against him, and he asked the church and future believers, which is us, to continue the healing ministry to forgive. Jesus said, if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And in Matthew chapter six, verses 14 and 15, it says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others 
your, their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know, forgiveness is not easy. It's not. It's not in our human nature to, to do it naturally. It's a divine thing, a godly thing. And I am sure we would agree that forgiving people can sometimes be very difficult. And we have our own stories about those that have hurt us. And if we're really honest, we also have the stories of how we have hurt other people. How can we forgive that person who has said hurtful things and treated us badly? You know, we can use all kinds of logic and excuses of why we cannot forgive. But what if God did the same thing to us? What hope would there be? God requires perfection, and then he offers us grace and forgiveness. And then we have these words. If you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. Forgiveness is not an option. We sometimes act like it is, but forgiveness is not an option. If we have our eyes open to see how great our offenses are against God, the hurt done to us by others will not seem to be quite so large. Peter asked Jesus, well, how many times should I forgive? Up to seven times? I think he thought he was being generous in saying seven times. And Jesus replied, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. A number to be taken symbolically, not literally, for the never-ending way that we have to forgive. We need to forgive. There is no option. How is that going in our world today? Is forgiveness um, readily available to... Do I give forgiveness readily or not? Well, Jesus often used parables to illustrate different aspects of forgiveness. And during his conversation with Peter, Jesus told the parable of the unforgiven servant, which is in the verses in Matthew chapter 18. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began this settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. 
Pretty tough words, isn't it? Pretty tough words. In the parable, the king, which we know represents God, Jesus continues his answer to Peter of what forgiveness looks like. So in this scripture, we read that uh, the, they owed the king 10,000 talents or bags of gold. A few days ago, I just looked at the value of gold and it was $1,796 per troy ounce or about $27,000 per pound or for the younger people that don't know pounds and it's four point, or point, 0 0.0.454 kilograms. Takes me the time to learn some of those. Uh, and there are 14.583 troy ounces or 413 grams in a pound instead of, and a troy ounce is actually less than a regular ounce. So there's only 14.583 ounces in a pound or 453 grams, if I have this all correct. <laughs> so one talent is equal to 75 pounds, or 35 kilograms, or about $2 million in today's currency. But that's just one talent. It says he owes 10,000 talents. So that's a very large sum of money, probably in the range of a billion dollars or more. So when Jesus told this parable, a working person could not earn this much money in 50 lifetimes. It was meant to say that it was a debt that you could not pay. You will never be able to pay that. And in verse 26, the servant begs for mercy and tells the king, be patient with me and I will pay everything back. Come on, <laughs> you know you're not gonna pay that back because you'll never you can't live 50 lifetimes to be, to be able to earn that much money. So this person is actually delusional to think that they can pay that debt off. It is absolutely impossible. And it's impossible for us today to pay the debt for our sins. What can we do to make up for the things that we do in our lives? There is absolutely nothing we can do. We mistakenly think a little bit like that servant that if we get our act together, and we can repay that debt to God, somehow we can make it up to God, that maybe we can be good enough, or maybe we could do enough good deeds, or that we could, whatever we could do, but the reality is we can tell God that we're sorry because we will not, never be able to pay that debt. And then in verse 27, we read that the king has pity on the servant and extends kindness and compassion by canceling the debt. Canceled that whole debt. The king could have told him, well, I'll give you more time, but that would have been foolish. Or I could lessen the amount, which maybe would have worked if he would have lowered it down enough. But the king does more than that. He tells the servant that he doesn't have to pay it at all. He doesn't have to pay nothing. And he completely frees him from the debt freeing him and his family from being sold into slavery. And in the same way, God offers us complete and total forgiveness if we are willing to accept it by trusting Jesus that died on the cross for our sins. That's why the gospel is good news, actually great news. 
God says he won't punish us for our sins. Jesus died so that we don't have to. We have been spared. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me and for all of us. Our debt has been paid in full. So what is the response of the servant to such extravagant forgiveness? Well, in the next verses we read that that servant went out and found a fellow servant that owed him 100 denarii. A denarii was considered one day's wages. So roughly, he owed 100 days wages. Now, I think that's doable. You may have to go and borrow some money. You may not have it right in your bank account or you may not have it, but that would be doable. And he demanded, but he demanded payment and he began choking him. You would think he would have been greatly rejoicing for the, for the forgiveness that was offered to him, but he turned around and demanded payment immediately. So what's really going on here? How could this servant be so cold and heartless? He was showing such great mercy by the king that he didn't have mercy at all for his fellow servant. His action doesn't really make sense. When, when you've been forgiven a debt that you couldn't pay, yet demand payment and not show mercy to someone else? And this is the challenge for us as Christians today. If we have experienced God's forgiveness, we must forgive others. When they wrong us, we must, we must forgive. Going back to verse 22, Peter, Jesus tells Peter he must forgive his brother not seven times, but 77 times, which means that it's every time. It's unending. We have to always offer forgiveness. He is saying to forgive as the king forgave the servant, and then to forgive as God forgives us. Now I know you may be sitting here thinking, well, it's not that simple. Well, it's not what it is. It's not simple to forgive someone. If someone has done something really to hurt you, it's hard to forgive. But I don't think we have a choice. We have to forgive. This parable ends with a servant being thrown into jail and tortured because he could not repay the debt, because he refused to show mercy to another. So God has forgiven us, but we can't truly be free unless we forgive others. We need to completely forgive those who have hurt us just as God completely forgives us. Hebrews 8.12 says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God has shown us the greatest act of grace and has forgiven and freed us and now it's our turn to do the same thing to others. By not forgetting what they did, but by choosing not to remember. I think that's important. By, you don't necessarily have to forget what happened to you, but you do need to choose, to choose to not remember it. And when we forgive others, we will find that we are actually the ones being set free. And this is a quote that I, really speaks to me. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and then to discover that the prisoner is you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and then to discover that the prisoner is you. I read an interesting story uh, sometime back and uh, it's a story that probably some of you are familiar with. It's the story of uh, Corey and Betsy Ten Boom. I don't know if you've heard that name, but I think most of you have. They spent a number of years in prison 
in a concentration camp during World War II because their family sheltered Jews during the Holocaust. And they suffered a lot in that uh, concentration camp and actually Betsy died while she was in the prison. But Corey was released and she became a traveling evangelist. And these are her own words about the difficulty of forgiveness, but also of the freedom that God gives us when we do forgive. This is her words. It was a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the Shire room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing, how grateful I am for your message, Furloin, he said, to think, to think, just as you say, he has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had just so often preached to the people that they need to forgive, I kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ, who died for that man, was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me. Help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him, the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand in, into the one he stretched out to me, and, I, and as I did, incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm and sprang in, into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And so I discovered that it is not only our own forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his, on Jesus. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself to be able to do that. Corey ten Boom could not have done this without God's love. And when we forgive, we experience God's love and forgiveness because he provides those things that we can forgive. And in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is because Jesus paid with his life the debt that we could not pay. This is why when we ask God for forgiveness, he gives it to us. So it's up to us now to ask God for forgiveness of our sins, to accept Jesus' life as a payment for them and bring to him all of our burdens. For those of us that have accepted God's forgiveness, maybe we're having a difficult time forgiving others. If this is the case, we need to confess that. We need to give up the resentment and bitterness to Jesus so that we can forgive others and so that we can be finally free. God gave us Jesus to pay for our sins have, and have you and I accepted that forgiveness? And have you forgiven the people in your life who have hurt you? 
Well, what are we waiting for? Now is the time. Forgiveness is at the very core of the Christian faith. We believe that God forgives our sins when we repent. He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross so that our forgiveness is possible. There is only one thing that can prevent our forgiveness. That is our unwillingness to forgive another person. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And if we're not willing to forgive even one other person, I don't think we can be forgiven. No part of Jesus' teaching, I don't think, is any clearer than that. And I don't think there's any exceptions. That might be a hard word, but I believe that that's correct. He did not say that we are to forgive other people only if their sins are not too bad. He didn't say that we are to forgive only in the case of extenuating circumstances. We are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often the offense is repeated. If we don't, we shall not be forgiven by God. This is serious stuff. It is serious. So you see, when we forgive other people, the benefits are not primarily theirs, but ours. When we forgive, we are not only access forgiveness from God, but we also, we replace our resentment with the joy of the Lord. What great freedom that gives us. And I will repeat what I said before. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was me, was you. If nothing else sticks with you today, if nothing else, if you remember nothing else, please remember this. Life is too short. Life is too short to live another day, another moment with unforgiveness in your heart and life. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you to love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then we have the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 that shows us what God's forgiveness looks like. We can walk away from God. We can involve ourselves in simple things and when we come to our senses and wonder, will God forgive me? God will not hold those choices against us. But when we come as a repentant person with open arms, God receives us and there will be rejoicing in the celebrations. If we are forgiven freely, how can we in good conscience do any less? Jesus was very kind and merciful in the way that he forgave those who sinned against others. Jesus told the paralytic child, your sins are forgiven. When a sinful woman bathed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. When a woman caught in adultery was brought before him, he said, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he told the repentant criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Even more compelling is the way that Jesus forgave those who sinned against him directly. For Jesus, forgiveness was, was not an automatic. It was intentional, a conscious choice like it needs to be with us. And the Roman soldiers scourged and nailed Jesus to the cross. And Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. And then after the resurrection, Jesus had every right to be upset. He did. Peter had denied him three times and others had deserted him. And, and when he entered the upper room, they deserved a reprimand. But instead, with divine compassion, Jesus said three times, peace be with you. Jesus told Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then after the resurrection, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I have a question today in our lives, in my life, in your life. Is there unforgiveness in your life? Are you waiting to forgive someone or to forgive yourself? I plead with you to not wait another moment. Repent and ask God to help you to forgive that person or persons. Ask God to help you to forgive yourself. And for this body here at Zurich, this church, if we withhold forgiveness from one another, from ourselves, we will never be what God wants us to be. We will never be. So, do I want to be set free today from that unforgiveness? Do I want to be set free? Do you want to be set free? Is there unforgiveness in your heart? Is there unforgiveness in my heart? I think over the last two years, I've had some moments where I didn't feel very forgiving. So is the Holy Spirit today reminding you of something where you need to go and do? to ask for forgiveness? Or are you struggling with forgiving yourself? Maybe you've made choices that uh, you're not sure about and, and you have a hard time forgiving yourself. Are you struggling with that? Well, I believe it's time to confess those things to the Lord. And if you're here and you're convicted to ask forgiveness from someone, um, do it today. Because you know what? If you don't do it today, tomorrow the enemy is going to try to say to you, oh, I don't know if that's, that's not necessary. Ah, maybe you were just in that moment. Maybe when you hear that scripture, you were being, you were being, you were just kind of caught up in the moment. And you thought that, well, maybe I should ask for forgiveness. Because the enemy will try to steal that. It happens all the time. It's happened to me. You hear a, you hear a sermon or you hear something and you say, I need to do that. And then you don't do it, and by tomorrow, you kind of say, ah, oh, no, nah, I don't think I need to do that. Because we think, well, maybe it's not a, not a big deal. Scripture says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So I would like to ask you a question. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, I'm not asking for a raised hand, I'm just... But I would ask, would every one of us just stand up and in, in, in surrender to Jesus? And uh, if you have something that you need to confess, so be it. But if you don't, praise God. So go to stand and I'll just have a word of prayer.
God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you, God, that you are, you are such a loving God that uh, you don't hold those things against us that we would probably hold against someone else. We heard the story of how Joseph was able to forgive his brothers even in spite of they wanting to kill him and then send, sold him into slavery. And uh, he said, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good, that people's lives would be, would be, uh, would be saved by having food available. And Lord, in the, the parable of the 10,000 talents, Lord, we'd see that we were forgiven a debt that we could not pay. It's impossible. But you paid that price for each one of us. And I am so thankful and so grateful that you did that. So Lord, I pray that for myself and for all of us here today, that if there's something within our hearts that, that we need to ask for forgiveness, whether it's uh, against someone else or whether we're carrying something that uh, we've done that we just need to confess, God, I pray that you will just help us to be able to do that. And God, I just thank you so much for each person that's here today. Lord, I pray a blessing on their lives. May you just be with them, guide them. Lord, we just start. we love you so much. You are worthy of our praise and our adoration. And so we have come here today to praise you and worship you. Um, Lord, I thank you so much for the way that you speak to us by your spirit. Thank you for this opportunity to gather today to worship you. And Lord, I pray that uh, if there's anything that I said that would, uh, would be incorrect, Lord, I pray that you'll wipe it from the memory of those in, this, uh, in the hearing of this and, and online. And Lord, if there's something that was said that, uh, that will uh, help us to forgive someone through the scripture, God, I pray that that will speak to our hearts and lives. Be with us, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.